episode 21 for December 2007. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They've got today's comics at yesterday's prices. They offer discounts from 38 up to 75% off cover price of new comics. Now, for instance, Ultimate Spider-Man's cover price is $2.99, and at mail order, it's discounted to a buck eighty-five. So give them a try. They want to be your comic provider. Again, that's MailOrderComics.com. Welcome back, webheads, to our December 2007 podcast. Let's get right to the introductions. We have the writer of the Spider-Man, the Icon book, Steve Saffel. Steve, so glad you could be on the show. Glad to be here. And we also have JR from the recently updated SpideyKicksButt.com. You know, JR, it's been eight months in the making, but it's worth it. <laughs> well, gee, thank you very much. <laughs> and can you believe it's December already? Uh, I know. And it was uh, 65 degrees here in Joplin, Missouri yesterday. And December oh, 1st. Speaking of Missouri, you guys must be bummed out. You ain't going to New Orleans. <clears throat> I know. That <clears throat> <But> Ohio <laughs> State I know the feeling. My alma mater is West Virginia University. Yeah. You can't win them all, but what you going to do? But uh, if you want to check out JR's latest article, it's up at SpideyKickSpot.com, and he has an in-depth review of Spider-Man 3. So it's, it's been, we've been waiting for it, but it's finally there. And we also have Spidey Dude from the soon-to-be-relaunched SpideyDude.com. Welcome, Spidey Dude. You're no longer in a stadium like you were last month. <laughs> yeah, no longer broadcasting live from Texas Stadium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know... It, JR, don't feel bad. Yours was eight months, mine's been a year, two, four, six, I don't know. I've kind of lost count at this point, so good to be here. <laughs> and, of course, we have Morbius. He's feeling a little bit better from last month. Morbius, good to have you back. He's one of the administrators on the Crawl Space Message Board. Good to be back, and uh, I don't have a website unless you count that I probably updated my Facebook to date. So. <laughs> <laughs> so please visit Morbius' Facebook all you. <laughs> All you aspiring bands and, and webcam artists. <laughs> well, enough Actually, of the... Yeah, go search for Morbius, and if you find somebody, good luck. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, enough with the intro. Steve, uh, you know, uh, for those who don't know, Steve's just written a 320-page book of spider goodness. Kind of tell me a bit about the background of the book. How'd you get started with this book? Well, uh, the publisher approached me and uh, explained that they had had uh, this kind of a book arranged with Marvel. Uh-huh. And they asked me what I might do. And so I submitted a, uh, a fairly long outline mm-hmm. that said, here's exactly what I would do, including change the title. Because the original title that they had, I felt, wasn't quite as, as solid as what we've got now. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, okay, much to my uh-huh. surprise, at which time I suddenly sat there looking at a blank screen going, oh, <laughs> crap, <laughs> I have to fill it. Yeah. But, well, what, uh, what was the original title of the book? What did they want to go with? Originally, the book was uh, scheduled to be called Spider-Man The Legacy, and my only problem with that was that I felt as if it sounded as if he had died and left us something. <laughs> A post-mortem of Spider-Man. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. uh, so uh, at that point, uh, they, like I said, they, they gave me a green light, and mm-hmm. I started writing. And um, it was just it was a very organic process. It just kept going and going and... Every time I would find something new, something else would crop up. So the book almost wrote itself. Yeah. And when did you start this assignment? How, how long has this been in the making? I'd say it started uh, last year in the spring is when we first started talking about it. 
and it was late summer, early fall when I really dug into the uh, writing in earnest. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the writing took place in the fall of last year, mm-hmm. with um, really uh, filling in a lot of the blanks and working a lot on the design and the imagery in the spring of this year. Right. Be pretty much finished up in May. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I guess th- you can talk a bit about the research of it. I mean, being a lifelong Spider fan, you've probably been doing this for years. <laughs> Well, I think more than that, I, I have a news editorial journalism degree, so uh, that has taught me a lot about uh, research. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I found was that I did know what I wanted to do in general, but it was each piece of information that I found that led to the next one. Mm-hmm. So I would find something, I would go to research it, I would drop it into the slot where you know, where basically where I was in the manuscript, and that led me to the next one. So right. it really, um, in a weird way, it was a uh, an exploration for me too. Right. What was your research like? Did you like read all 500 amazing issues, or ha- what was the research like? I guess. Well, I've read all 500 amazing issues. I've read mm-hmm. most of the Spider-Man comic books that have, have ever come out, mm-hmm. and um, but a lot of them at the time they came out, mm-hmm. and uh, in the process, I also um, did some review of other people's impressions of Spider-Man, a lot of it really had to be how other people saw Spider-Man, because the whole idea of the book is, how did people see Spider-Man? You can't Mm -hmm. be an icon if you don't have people who see you, recognize you, and raise you up on sort of that platform. Right, right. So uh, that following that theme, a lot of what I was trying to do was to find out what were the things that had made the greatest impact across the board when it came to all things Spider-Man. Talk about some of the, the views. Who, who, did you, who did you spotlight, or their particular views of the character? Well, I mean, most of the views that I, spot, I would shine the spotlight on would be the people who had worked on Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I looked at a lot of different sites just to see what had created an impact, mm-hmm. and then I went back to research what had been done to write, to draw, to what, what had been the source of that impact. Right. So it wasn't any one person's view of Spider-Man. It was really trying to get a, a view of how the world saw him. Right. And how does the world see him? I mean, it, I mean, he is an icon. Everybody knows the image of Spider-Man pretty much around the world. Very much so. Uh, yeah. One person had said to me that they had heard, and I believe this, that when Spider-Man's costume was designed, <laughs> one of the goals was to see to it that no matter what you saw, you knew who it was instantly. Right. And I think the webs do that. I think about the only thing on Spider-Man that, would, uh, that wouldn't tell you who it is is if you get a shot of the kneecap. <laughs> um, that could, then it could be Superman. I think they have the same blue yeah. pants. Exactly. Yeah. But just about I, anything else is going to show you that this is Spider-Man instantly. And I yeah. think it was that instant recognition factor that actually got him through the days when, frankly, in the early days, his comic books were hard to find. You just yeah. find them anywhere. I think I read a Ditko interview years ago that he he has more of a villainish costume, you know, with those webs. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I think I read something about Ditko saying that. In a way, it's true. Although um, I think that because of the personality of the character, mm-hmm. the uh, it never really got seen as villainish. I, it allowed artists a lot of latitude. They could really make him look nasty, but they could also make him look um, heroic. Washbuckling. There were just so many alternate alternatives to it. Now let's talk a bit about your history. You were on staff at Marvel for a time. Is that right? 
from uh, 90, from 83 to 94, I was on staff at Marvel. First, I came on board doing promotions and publicity for them in the direct market. Uh-huh. And then I was moved over to editorial where I was doing behind-the-scenes magazines, mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Age, the collector's previews, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the things of that sort. But some of the PR stuff did you do? Did you design that, that Shea Stadium wedding <laughs> for with Spider-Man? No. <laughs> I can't say I designed the Shea Stadium wedding. That was, I think, done in uh, conjunction with an outside outfit. Yeah. That was a big event, and yeah. uh, I think that required a lot of people working on it. Uh, yeah. It was probably the first really big event of its kind, short of the uh, like the Superman balloon. Right. Um, because the uh, the Shea Stadium event really got a lot of people's attention. It did. In ways I don't think anybody expected. Yeah. What's some other PR things you did with Marvel during your time that well, we, might, we might? A lot of it was I coordinated their conventions. So uh huh. Guy who took the the stuff out to San Diego to the Chicago Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I um, did a lot of the direct market publicity. I, I communicated a lot with the other fanzines out there. There were a lot fewer outlets back then although it was a little bit simpler, too, because it was all print. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, I mean, that was really probably the, the core of what I had done. Plus, I created materials for the um, the direct market stores. So okay. if, you got a, uh, if you got a Spider-Man wedding kit in a, in a comic book store, <laughs> that was something that I worked on. They made Spider-Man wedding kits? I didn't know that. It was an advertising kit. The idea oh. is the comic book store could use materials in their local newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. to help uh, gather attention in their community. Oh, okay. Because I, I, if they had a wedding kit, I, I would put it on my groom's cake because I, I actually had a Spider-Man groom's cake when I got married. I had a uh, Mary Jane getting a web around her from a Spider-Man action figure. <laughs> Very cool. Well, see, now there's the thing. Uh, in this day and age, you could actually do that. Mm-hmm. Back when I started as a fan, you really um, – all you had was the comics. Yeah. There were – there was no such thing as an action figure unless you were lucky enough to have Captain Action. Mm-hmm. That had to do you until Mego came along. Exactly. With the rubber band innards that always broke. <laughs> yeah. Now, what... that did make it a little difficult. Yeah. Now, when did... I actually remember Captain Action. Did... Oh, my. I, I had one of those back in the 60s. Did you? You did? Do you still have a JR? No, no. He went to pieces years ago. <laughs> he, the. Uh... No, he uh, he rotted away. But oh, uh, I did I did buy one when they recently uh, came out with uh, new editions. But unfortunately, they didn't license any of the uh, or couldn't license any of the superheroes, so they couldn't redo the the Superman or the Spider Man or the Batman costumes. Mm. Well, yeah. the thing is, if you look at it these days, nobody is going to be doing an across the board superhero license like that. Mm. Captain Action did it, Mego did it, and I gather that as as um, the Mego. Uh, Packaging came out with all the different heroes on it, Superman, Batman, Tarzan, Spider-Man. Uh, that beca- began to alarm the companies right there. And right. I don't think we're ever going to see uh, just an across-the-board licensing like that again. I think the last closest thing we had to that was Toy Biz, I think, because Toy Biz originally did the DC line, and then Marvel got got on the bandwagon and bought the company. You'll never, see them, you'll never see them crossing over like that again. Yeah, that's true. So dedicated. Yeah. Now, talking about collectibles, in the book you said a lot of the pictures came from your own personal collection. What what kind of stuff do you have that's your like your pride and joy? Well, most of my stuff is uh, the print material. I mean, I really have the comic books and uh, and a lot of the books. I have some of the records. I have a bunch of the toys over the years, but eventually it got to the point that it was just a little too much. Yeah. And then you know other strange tchotchkes like uh, some of the early notebooks and um. You know, 
kits that were sent out by various media companies, that kind of thing. Yeah, I noticed one page in the book. It has like a, a teacher's guide where it has audio cassettes in it. Was that yours? <laughs> no, that came off of uh, SpidermanCollector.com. Okay. Yeah, Cy, I think is his name. He's a good guy. He's yeah, got a heck- did, It was funny because we looked. Uh, I found a lot of different sites. I helped Titan mm-hmm. identify all the different sites that had materials that I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I went, um, I went from site to site and then identified what, um, what we might pick up. Mm-hmm. So, the, for example, the Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends stuff came from a different site right. than a lot of the other materials. I think that's spiderfriends.com. That's a good site, too. It definitely is. Yeah. And, um, and they, they, you know, amazingly, they had some of those fabulous uh, storyboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really terrific. Right. But, um, the thing is that uh, ultimately it, it became obvious that Cy had a, a sort of an unparalleled collection, and yeah. he offered to help us out, and um, all he wanted was uh, a line in the acknowledgment. Well, there you go. Now, did the uh, do you have the infamous Spider-Man toilet paper? <laughs> That's, I do indeed. You do, man. It's a, I, I, I still want to find that. I, I passed it up years ago at a convention. I should have bought it, but I, at the time I couldn't. Uh, spend ten bucks on a roll, you know. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, I'll tell you. The, the amazing thing to me is is when I looked at the uh, the images on the toilet paper itself and realized that this was an adventure illustrated by Marie Severin. <laughs> uh, that was just astonishing. Yeah. Does anybody else on the panel have the toilet paper, Jr.? You you, you still have it? <laughs> uh, no, I I never I never bought it. <laughs> never bought it. And Morb and Spidey, dude, do you have the toilet paper? Uh, just well, shows uh, I am. Uh, I've never even seen it before. So I looked at your side. I think we've said uh, that you can wipe your ass with Chapter One, so it's okay. <laughs> different, different type of toilet paper. My, my, question, anyway. my question, of course, is whether or not to, it leaves the blue ink behind. <laughs> wow, that could be a problem. Hey, Doc, I've got a yeah. Never, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, how about the oh, hemorrhoid Spider-Man's picture? Yeah, exactly. What were you saying, Steve? I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think some of the other stuff that I have that I'm really that I really enjoy is the stuff from when I was younger. Um, the Marvel Mania stuff. I have those mm-hmm. um, those funny little plastic statues and things like that. Yeah. Um, I just need one poster, a Captain America poster, to finish up all of those. Wow. And um, I, I didn't really get into the MMMS. I, I, I don't think I had enough money at the time, really. Yeah. Um, I know someone who has one of those fabulous Ditko uh, door-sized posters, and mm-hmm. I'd love to get one of those. But yeah. alas, uh, freelance writers and editors just don't make quite that much money. <laughs> uh, now, now, when did you start? When was your first issue that you picked up Amazing? When... Amazing 19. Uh, from okay. late 1964. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what drew you to the character? I mean, did you buy it off a spinner rack, or how did you go about getting meeting the character? I guess. See, now there, I I, I think probably it was bought for me by my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a newsstand in town called uh, Walter's Newsstand, and um, we always went down there, and I started getting comics there. Mm-hmm. The character just, I mean, the writing, the art, everything about it, it, it was it was dramatic. It was funny. There were guest stars, even though I didn't really know the meaning of it at the time. I think I bought one issue of Fantastic Four, so the Human Torch wasn't really that familiar. Right. But what was cool was the way it all came together. Mm-hmm. I just I loved the character. It was just well written, well drawn. Um, it was really Ditko hitting his peak at right. that point. Right. And Stan's dialogue was just—I mean, you 
certainly didn't see that kind of dialogue in Batman or Superman. Exactly. Now, did you stay with the character? I mean, have you been with the character since that issue? Have you bought every amazing issue since, or did we lose you at a time? <laughs> no, I was so young at the time, I missed a few, but I yeah. went back and, uh, and and picked them up, and uh, I have. I've stayed with the character ever since. And, um, you know, it's funny because a lot of people get very you know, up in arms about different storylines. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, I was there for uh, Aunt May marrying Dr. Octopus. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I figure if I can live through that, I can live through almost anything. That's like before Jerry Springer. That was like a, a cr- crazy wedding. <laughs> yeah, really? These days, I can just see it now. My boyfriend has eight arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a good segment, actually. <laughs> and, it, and he's all hands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, um... Talk a bit about the oddest fact that you learned about the character. I mean, in doing this research, there had to be something that stood out that you're like, man, I didn't know that. Well, I think the strangest thing, well, the thing that I didn't expect, Mm -hmm. the number of times Spider-Man had been reinvented during all of those years. Right. I mean, every decade, there were a couple of really just big things that happened that kept the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why the character has lasted where so many other characters eventually just lost steam. Right. Something would always happen. Um, I think some of the strangest stuff, uh, the guy who wrote the, the Spider-Man theme lyrics mm-hmm. for the original uh, 60s cartoon won an Academy Award for um, Love is a Many Splendored oh. Thing. Wow. I didn't know that. And, and I, was really, I thought it was really cool that Richard Nixon was actually responsible for Spider-Man's first live-action television series. Oh, talk a bit about that. I don't think many f- fans are aware of that. Well, back in the 1970s, early 70s, uh, there had been a really big success on public broadcasting uh, called Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard Nixon actually put forth an initiative that said there should be more children's educational programming. Mm-hmm. So they hired this veteran actor, a guy named Paul Dooley, and he became the head writer for the electric company. They created the electric company, and as of the fourth season, Spider-Man was on there in a sort of a, a very bizarre live-action sequence where he never spoke. All of his dialogue and thoughts were done in sudden balloons on mm-hmm. the screen. Yeah, that, that's probably how I was introduced to the character, because I, I was a hangover from Sesame Street. I used to stick around and watch the electric company after it, because I was born in 1975, so that was when the electric company was in its peak. And you see, the thing is, that's the whole iconic thing. Mm-hmm. Because when you're suddenly pumped into to thousands of uh, classrooms, when you're on in every American tel- uh, every American living room, mm-hmm. that's when people see you, and that's when people recognize you. Right. I've heard rumors that the guy in the suit was um, was uh, Morgan Freeman, who was on the series at the time. Yeah, Dan Slott mentioned this in the last show. I think he talked to you about it. Now, I don't know that because I've also heard, and it may have even been Dan who told me, mm-hmm. that he had seen a sequence in which Morgan Freeman and Spider-Man were on screen at the same time. Right. Which means at least in that episode, he wouldn't have been in the suit. Right. But uh, you never know. I mean, he was young and a little bit uh, slimmer back then. so it's always- <laughs> Again, this could be another uh, Springer segment. I was the man in the suit. <laughs> Exactly. Or he could go to conventions, kind of like David Prowse does at, at Star Wars conventions. He was the guy in the suit. And behind the mask. Yeah, exactly. And that tells me Morgan is busy with other things these days. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell, t- tell me a little bit more about the reinvention of, of the decades. Now, I can remember the obvious one, the Ultimate Spider-Man one, and the Chapter 1 they tried to reintroduce him. Did they try to do it in the 70s and the 80s also? 
Well, you always had people who were working on um, new storylines for the character in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, often the event that would really push uh, Spider-Man forward wouldn't necessarily be in the comics. In the 70s, I consider it mostly to be the free live-action television series, mm-hmm. uh, the Electric Company, the Nicholas Hammond series, and the Japanese one. Right. Now, the Japanese really didn't affect us here, but it did sort of take Spider-Man International. Right. But regardless, it's those live-action series that really pushed him forward and got good ratings, too. Yeah. And I guess CBS, they didn't pick it up for a full series because they didn't want to be known as the superhero network, I guess. That's what I got, gathered from my research, and I can yeah. see that. Because they were getting, I think, good ratings with Hulk. Um, it was funny, one of the more uh, cursed characters was Doctor Strange, yeah. who managed to uh, air opposite the first episode of Roots. Oh, it did. I didn't know that. <laughs> I've heard. And so that, that would sort of be a killer right there. Right. Yeah, that would kill it. Now, I guess in the 60s, did they try to re- reintroduce them? Maybe with Ramita, Jun- Ramita Sr. coming on board? That kind of sparked a little life, too, I guess. It did, but I don't think it was an attempt to revive the character. Uh, mm-hmm. John had just done a couple of issues of Daredevil. And right. It was just a couple months later that suddenly he was tagged to do Spider-Man. And uh, he really didn't expect it to last. Right. Uh, and so uh, I think the thing in the in the 60s that has to have done it would be the uh, the TV series. Right, right. Um, when you go on network television on Saturday morning, you got a you know millions of people suddenly taking a look at you. Yeah, Jr. Is that how you got introduced through the cartoon back in the day, or because Jr. is the our senior spider expert? <laughs> um, no, actually, I was uh, introduced uh, by uh, getting it off the spinner rack. I uh, I had been uh, sick one day with. Um, strep throat and my mother uh brought me some comic books and uh you know and some of them were spider-man and and, and lo uh, an obsession was born right we're, we're talking 70s is that where or late 60s jr late 60s late 60s, late 60s. Late 60s. and you know also generationally morbius and spidey dude are kids of the 90s how did you guys get introduced was it the, the 90s cartoon more it was a mixture of the 90s cartoon and you know the same with everybody else my parents Got some comic books. I think they were from the Clone Saga when I first saw them. So, yeah. Spidey Dude, how? And I stuck with it. <laughs> Spidey Dude, was it the cartoon for you? Uh, it, was, it was the cartoon. Uh, they were really the books first, and then right after that, it was the cartoon. So the cartoon got me more enamored with it. Right. And Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man number nine. Is that what you said, Steve? That's what how you got introduced. No, nineteen. Oh, uh, nineteen. Sorry. Yeah. The one I had, I had quite a bit of uh, digging backward to do. Um, <laughs> only really recently finished up the the complete set. Oh, okay, gotcha. And mine was uh, Electric Company slash Marvel Team Up Annual Number Two with the Hulk. That was my first introduction. So okay. Uh, let's see. What else do we have to t- uh, talk about? About the uh, the title versus the experience. I mean, uh, was there some other titles that you threw out there that you were thinking about? No, I mean, I, well, I started it not as um, Spider-Man the Icon. Mm-hmm. I suggest uh, the Iconic Spider-Man because right. I thought that would go with uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, but they, they uh, the publisher suggested Spider-Man the Icon as a slightly, I guess, I think it's a more, um, I don't know, maybe even a, a more respectful title. Yeah. But uh, it worked for me, so, you know, you think- that's when it was split in hair. Do you think there's another Marvel character that can be an icon? I mean, or, you know, a DC. I mean, Superman probably could be an icon, but do you think there's another hero that could have that title? There are a number of icons of various uh, sorts. Mm-hmm. If you really get down to it, something like the Hulk, 
who is the epitome of um, anger, of uh, of sort of the Frankenstein in our society. He could be an icon in in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman is certainly an icon. He's sort of the icon of the um, of the vigilante with a code. Right. Uh, Superman is definitely an icon, but like Captain America, the problem with an icon like Superman or Captain America is that it's so rigidly defined that I think it becomes a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think that big red S is um, such a vivid image that it could certainly be considered an icon. Right. Uh, maybe maybe DC or Titan can hit you up for another icon book <laughs> if they want. Well, I, I certainly think there should be more icon books. I um, I don't know if I would be the person to write them or not. I, I certainly could, yeah. but regardless, I think that there are other characters who could be explored this way. Uh, and um, right. I guess, like I said, the thing that surprised me the most was once I started exploring this idea, I found out that there was about twice as much just pivotal in, information than I had ever expected. Now, is there who's your number two? Is Spider-Man your number one hero, or who could you write as no, your number two hero? It's it's kind of hard for me to say. I'm mm-hmm. big on Captain America. Right. I think Captain America is an amazing character mm-hmm. because he's the guy who can basically look up at a guy like Thor and say, "Yo, we need you over there." <laughs> you got it. The average man that can talk to the gods <laughs> and and be listened to. Yeah. And um, and of course I, I, I'm I'm fairly good friends with uh, Joe Simon, so it's kind of fun to, oh, wow. to watch his reaction with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was over at Joe's house on the day uh, they killed Captain America, uh-huh. and Joe kept answering the phone saying, "Yeah, we're over here sitting shiva." <laughs> it was Man. that's cool. Um, now, t- talk a bit about your research online. Uh, was there a lot of research online? I mean, you said you went to SpidermanCollector.com. Uh, what 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 was the research online like? For the it was, it was the internet has made it so astonishing mm-hmm. because again, as I would find something that I felt needed to be addressed, and then I would start exploring different sites. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, as soon as I realized that we needed to talk about the the three live action series as sort of a triumvirate in the seventies, mm-hmm. I would go to each series, and that's where I would learn things like the history the official history of the electric company, yeah. which suddenly spiraled in with the history of Spider-Man. Right. Same thing with the, the Japanese animated. Right. But then I would write it up only if I could really come up with what I thought was credible confirmation that what was there was true. Right. And I tried not to put hearsay in there as often as I could. Right. And talk a bit about the relationship with Psy. I mean, how many pictures did he submit to the book? I mean, he has some beautiful pictures in that book. I mean, the book is just beautiful to look at. My editor would be the person to answer that. Oh, okay. Uh, the the scans for the comics are almost all mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few in there that aren't mine that I would really like to replace. But um, there also comes a day when the printer says uh, the clock's ticking. <laughs> exactly. So we 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 had sort of had, at one point had to have a choice of everything being absolutely perfect or um, or you get to have a book. Right. True. Uh, one one of one of the memories I I found in the book was the. Uh, the underoos that were unopened. <laughs> I, I'd forgotten kind of what the box looked like when I had those. Now see, that was Cy, and he, he actually, we asked him if he had existing photos, and he actually, I believe, went and, and did new photos of a lot of his collection wow. and sent those to us. He was just amazing. Right. And um, here's a bit of a collaboration that was kind of fun. Uh-huh. The list 
the lyrics. We actually show the lyrics for the Spider-Man theme mm-hmm. on the, the double-page spread where you see that in the book. Right. Well, if you follow all of those images, what had happened was my editor went to the um, cartoon, went to the opening, and did screen grabs that specifically follow the uh, theme. Mm. So the that's images cool. on that double-page spread exactly go with the, the uh, theme music. Oh, that's There's awesome. That's very cool. Uh, you, I guess is the is the uh, the cartoon from the '60s your absolute favorite of all the cartoons from the uh, different generations? I think I, I think I would probably go with the one from the '90s because oh, yeah. that when they really began to you know while they while they went in a direction of their own, a la Ultimate, um, they also really took more uh, direct influence from the comics than I think any other. Um, you didn't have, you know, the spider cave that you ended up with in the, the Amazing Friends. Yeah. My favorite episodes of Amazing Friends were the ones that were the origin sequences because those went a little bit more with the, the comic book. Right, right. And, um, but I think that by the 90s, that was just a really outstanding production. Right. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen uh, next year. I know. I we, we interviewed Greg Wiseman, the producer of the show, and it, it sounds like he's an old-school fan and he wants to keep it true to the original books. And have fun with it. So it sounds like a very promising show. I think. I think so. And, yeah. and there's a lot of potential there. Um, I'm a I'm a book editor by trade. I've uh-huh. a lot of science fiction and fantasy novels over the years, and um, I'm always really interested in the uh, sort of the um, the dramatic impact of any given story. I mean, a lot of stories sound really ridiculous until you actually do them. Somebody in I think on one of the questions that was posted was mm-hmm. whether or not I thought the um, the Spider-Man Broadway could be good. Right. And basically it comes down to everything can be good if it's well done. Exactly. <laughs> can you can you envision Spider-Man singing? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Don't you know, I, I I just don't know. <laughs> but you know, there are a lot of uh, characters over the years uh, that I wouldn't have expected to work. Um, I don't know if any of you saw Across uh, the Universe the, this year, the one with the uh, the Beatles music. Oh, I haven't. I heard it's good, though. Is it the one in Vegas? No, no, that's the... Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I've seen... Uh, that's Love. Oh, Love, that's it. That's the one I was... I've heard good things about. I haven't heard the, 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 the Southern one, though. Yeah, Across the Universe is a movie that came out recently that was a musical done exclusively with Beatles music. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not perfect, but it's really good. And uh, I think it just comes of what people do with the material. Well, uh, let's. I can I can imagine Spider Man singing more than I can imagine J. Jonah Jameson (laughs) or Norman Osborn singing. (laughs) That that's who I'm worried about. So that's true. That's true. Parker, (laughs) Parker, (laughs) sending Parker. <laughs> oh, there's Brad's audition. Yeah, I'm auditioning for uh, the J. Jonah. Part. We just lost. We just lost half our audience there. <laughs> one of my one of my first experiences in New York was the Doonesbury musical, and I enjoyed that. So. Oh, there you go. Well, let's get your spider opinion. There's various spider topics that uh, divide the fans. So I guess we can talk about what's your favorite era of Spider-Man stories in the books. I think. Well, they say that. Uh, 12 is the golden age. Now, I'm not sure that that's completely true because it sounds like it's more like 8 to 12. Mm-hmm. And that's the age that you are when you first encounter something. Right. I have to say that I think my favorites still would be the Lee Ditko and some of the Lee Ramita material. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's I was at the right age. Yeah. Um, in looking over a lot of different eras, though, I did find a lot of things that I could really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the stuff Charles Vest did was just fantastic. I loved uh, the Denny O'Neill, Chris Claremont, Frank Miller collaborations uh, that were in the annuals and uh, and Marvel Team Up 100. Mm-hmm. Those were just some of the most stunning comics I ever read. Are you talking about that Spirits of the Earth, Charles Vest hardcover? Is that what you were talking about? That was that was fantastic, but there yeah. were a couple of issues of the of the comic books that he did. There was one that was set in like a blizzard in Central Park that was just oh yeah, visually beautiful. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, that was a good one. Um, Charles was so good. What, what was that? I'm sorry. Charles is just so good. Yeah, I wish he'd come back to Marvel. He hasn't been with them for many a year. Well, Charles has a lot of stuff that he's doing these days. If anybody has seen any of his children's books, uh, those are totally. Oh, good. I didn't know he did children's books. That's cool. Especially the stuff with Charles DeLint. Uh, he does some fabulous stuff there. So Charles is just uh, in, in a different place these days. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> Do you have a least favorite era of Spider-Man? Do you think there's an era where it would just was rough to be a Spider-Fan? I, it's so hard to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are prejudices. I, I wasn't terribly fond of the Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. I think it was a fantastic um, <laughs> experiment. Yeah. It really meant... I mean, let's face it. We're, we're hitting a time where there are no... We're, we're, uh, fans are leaving the comic books in droves, mm-hmm. so the readership is dipping. All the companies are just scrambling to try to get something dynamic going. Yeah, and they decided to try something. Compl- I mean, it, it took real chutzpah to, to try something like that. Right, and um, you know, it's a little bit like if you ask the average dude who Green Lantern is. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows, and at that point, so many people were leaving the comics that whether or not it was Peter Parker, almost didn't matter. Right. Um, now, I say that from the point of view of someone who is completely dedicated to Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Right. But I, I, even I've got to recognize reality at that point. Right. See, I, I think to tie it all in, because Spidey Dude, that's his favorite era, and he was, you were in the Golden Twelve, as, as Steve put it, right, Spidey Dude? That's when you... Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much when I was, uh, that was around the time, yeah. Yeah. That's... I was, I was really, uh, I was eight years old, I think. Six to eight years old, so I was I was just before the Golden Twelve, but that's when I started hitting my stride, I guess. Yeah, so to speak. that's what introduced you to the character. So that was your favorite era. It wasn't mine, but <laughs> well, the thing is, again, it just depends. If there had been more eight to twelve year olds reading Spider-Man at that point, they might have it might have really clicked. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what's your favorite villain? of the Spider-Man universe? Who, who do you like to see show up? And I guess who's your least favorite? Who do you hate? Um, I think Doc Ock is my favorite. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I encountered him very early. I think what really cemented Doc Ock was the Master Planner sequence, that whole scene right. where he just suddenly bursts from behind a panel, and Spider-Man is like, you know, oh, my God, it's Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. Just totally worked for me. I'll be honest, my least favorite I probably have forgotten because <laughs> I read comic books to have fun. Yeah. I, I, I remember the things that I love, and if there's something that I don't love, I tend to basically say, ah, well, whatever, next month. Right. <laughs> like the the Warthog, isn't that an obscure spider villain, JR? <laughs> oh, I've never... Uh... Is there a Warthog, or there's some oh, oh, some dude that has yes, an animal on yeah, top of Razorback. Razorback, that's right. He wasn't really a villain, though. He was a... Uh, <laughs> that was back in Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, about the the first year or so and his sister was kidnapped by a cult and he and spidey just happened to bump in e- into each other and he drove a truck called the big pig yeah there so uh, <laughs> but we haven't we haven't yeah. seen him lately. oh he's still probably lost on the highway with the big pig you know 
Well, I hate to say it, but you know, uh, when you got how many thousand Spider-Man comic books have been coming out right now? Yeah. I, you try to make up a new character for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was the one and only 18-wheeling driving uh, hero slash villain or whatever he was. <laughs> Probably could have segued right over into US One. Yeah. Oh, there you go. See, it's good to talk geek talk with everybody. You know, you can't do this at work. You know, because <laughs> say US One, and then not everybody would know. Uh, I- Mercifully. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess we can talk about your uh, favorite and least favorite supporting cast member. Who do you like and who do you hate on the cast? Uh, well, I think my my favorite supporting cast member is probably Mary Jane mm-hmm. because they've just done so much to evolve the character over the years. Uh, and otherwise, probably would be J. Jonah Jameson because he's always been such a fabulous counterpoint. Um right. I mean, you know, it's it's really in that sense, it's almost an ensemble cast. So it's a little bit like asking who's your favorite character on Mash <laughs> or uh, Friends or whatever. You may have a favorite, but it really is because they all work together. Yeah, they wouldn't look work as a solo act. Yeah. Generally not. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a least favorite supporting cast? Do you really hate uh, anybody on the on the cast? No, not that I can think no. of. Sorry to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Gang, do you hate anybody on the cast? JR? I hate everybody. <laughs> I want to feel that. <laughs> he's, he's sitting back there on his rocking chair, just rocking back and forth and just, just seething over any, any inaccuracies. Who? JR? Uh, <laughs> yeah, JR. <laughs> oh, yeah. JR, who do you, who do you hate in the, in the Spider cast? No, I really never thought about it. I, I, um, I like pretty well most everybody in the classic cast. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's probably some supporting character that's been annoying but I, uh, over time, but uh, nothing comes to mind right now. Randy Robertson I dislike, the son of Robbie. <laughs> I hated when he shacked up with him in the, the uh, apartment. I thought that was lame. But anyway, <laughs> I guess we can talk about, about married or single Peter Parker. Steve, what do you like? Well, I mean, I get, there the answer is sort of yes, because if you really get back to the uh, original idea of him being something of an outcast, uh, that's probably one of the things that grabbed uh, someone who's just preteen, because just as the hormones start to kick in, you agree with him, nobody understands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once he got, but then of course everybody wants to like marry a supermodel. Right. So once you once you suddenly are married to a supermodel, everybody's like, oh my god, that could be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to figure that's going to resonate, right? Um, I do think that they've actually handled him better than, say, Lois. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like uh, the fact that Lois and Clark are, are married, but let's face it: um, about the most she is usually able to do is say, "Oh, I think Clark had a dentist appointment." Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> it's cool, but I just don't think there has been quite as much emotional impact with Superman as there has been with uh, with Mary Jane. Right. You know, another, along the same lines, I mean, what do you think of the aging of the character? They, they There's some complaints have been, you know, if you marry the guy, he gets older. If he has a kid, the character gets older. I mean, what do you think of aging this character? I think it's a tough one <laughs> because, I mean, let's face it, by now he should be in his, roughly in his uh, 70s, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, that to be a uh, to be a, a character in the comic books, you have to have him be at least reasonably young enough to be identified by a, a majority of the audience. Mm-hmm. I think they came up with sort of the perfect alternative when they did the ultimate uh, title, 
parallel to but not related to the regular title. Right. I thought when um, Struzinski put him back in the high school, that was a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, those of us who are the older fans have to recognize we, we almost have to be the minority. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, another try to uh, attempt at a reboot in the 90s was uh, Chapter 1 with John Byrne. Uh, what do you think of that era? I can't say I like that. Yeah. Uh, I understand what John was trying to do, mm-hmm. and I respect a lot of what John has done. I like John. I think he's got some really amazing stuff in his uh, background. And uh, actually, when he did some uh, art on the main titles at that same period, I think he did a really excellent job. Mm-hmm. But Chapter 1 just didn't work for him. Yeah. And an attempt that uh, of a reboot that uh, did work was Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, that that uh, went above and beyond expectations. Talk a bit about that book. I mean, that really caught on. I think that uh, it represented a change in the way um, our entertainment works. Our entertainment is much more rapidly episodic, and in a way, Ultimate Spider-Man probably slightly reflects the manga way of doing things. More pages, mm-hmm. a, a rap- more rapid pace. Um, there has been some criticism, and I think it's valid, of the fact that sometimes a storyline that Stan and Steve would have done or Stan and John would have done in like two issues will take you know a half a year. Right. Um, but on the other hand, I just think it's a reflection of a different kind of pacing in today's entertainment. Right. So, and like you're, like, Bendis, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Great, no, I think Bendis has done, done a great job, and, and I've always loved Mark Bagley's stuff. Uh, right. I just think he is one of the best storytellers in the business. Right. And if our memory serves me right, I think it took, what, four or five issues for Uncle Ben to die in the first arc or something like that. But I think it's the, again. I think it's a different kind of pacing, right. storytelling. I think that it um, again it, it works differently, but it works just as well. Now, back when Jim Lee did uh, Fantastic Four, and he would do the same thing. The, the Fantastic Four number one storyline suddenly took like two to three times as many pages, and I think that that was kind of unfortunate. I don't think Jim it succeeded as well, uh, especially given that I think that he's one of comics' better talents. I think that Bendis and Bagley did manage to pull it off in a much more efficient fashion. Tying it into something you said earlier, you know, if it's done right, it, it's great. Like kind of like the musical, if they do it right, it's, it's it'll catch on. Now I gotta say that when people experiment, when people try a different angle, um, I think it's worth it because yep. I think that without experimentation, you're just going to regurgitate. Right. And we can move on to the movies. That was a big part of Spidey's life. Uh, what's your favorite movie and least favorite, or how do you rank them? <laughs> It's difficult. Yeah. One and two are sort of neck and neck because the origin sequence is, is unparalleled as being just excellent. Mm-hmm. The, um, the Green Goblin sequence is fun but didn't work as well as the Doc Ock sequence. Yeah. So I think the two would probably have to be overall the most effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think that that origin sequence in one stands out on its own as being one of the best sequences in right. all of action-adventure. And then the latest one, what do you think of three? It was fun. I didn't like it nearly as much. Right. There's very little about it that really pulls me back. Right. And there's one thing in it that I completely disagree with. But, I, again, being uh, the person who doesn't want to like mess up my life by shouting at the heavens all the time, <laughs> I just sort of ignore that. Yeah. I, is it, I, the part that bothered me as a Spider fan was making the Sandman the actual shooter. I think that's what the main gripe is with a lot of fans. 
Exactly. It completely undermines the very nature of the character. And J.R., you just has, kind of talked about, about that in your article, about how that's uh, kind of upsetting, too. J.R., are you still there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think it did kind of uh, undermine, because the whole uh, the whole thing with the, uh, the, the story and the origin is that he let the killer escape. Yeah. He didn't yeah. try to apprehend the killer. And regardless of how you spin it, uh, this third film basically says, well, he didn't let the killer go. So, in a way, you really do kind of undermine uh, his whole basis for being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the worst moments in, in the superhero films. Uh, people have compared it to the idea that the Joker shot um, Batman's parents. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't undermine the character. It sort of messes with the canon, but, you know, canon is, is something to be messed with. Right. Uh, it, that doesn't remove the fact that um, Bruce Wayne watched his parents get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this does remove Spider-Man's inherent need to always be responsible. Right. And you know, Venom also uh, divides a lot of Spider-Fans. Are, are you a pro-Venom or anti-Venom? <laughs> I think Venom was sort of necessary because overall in our society, villains have had to get meaner and meaner and meaner over the decades. Yeah. I'm not a big Venom fan because I thought that he eventually becomes – he sort of paints the, the writers into the into a corner. There's not a whole lot you can do. Mm-hmm. He, he, he basically could just kill Spider-Man instantly. Right. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting character. It, it's um, I think they've done some interesting things with it. It's just not one of my favorites. You know, it sounds like you and JR were separated at birth. You guys are almost on the same opinion level on both everything. <laughs> I think it's just because we're old. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, perhaps, perhaps we've, we've gained wisdom. <laughs> You've gained wisdom. Well, uh, that's all the questions I had. Let's turn it over to Morb before your questions for Steve. What do you got, Morb? I got one question. Okay. Um, I think one more day, so far at least, is pretty much the only era of Spider-Man you didn't cover in the book, right? Right. Um so I'm wondering if you have any insights or opinions into that storyline so far. I'm going to admit uh, it makes me very nervous. Mm-hmm. What I do know of it um, makes me nervous. Uh, I am actually holding back on reading it until I can read it all at once. Yeah, right. I wanna, because first of all, because I know that the the publication schedule has been kind of um, has had to, had to had to move. Well, you'll have to wait another six months to read it all if you're waiting to read it at one time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. refer to as one more delay. Yeah, one more delay. But as a result, um, I, I'm, I'm nervous about it. I have a feeling I'm going to disagree with it. Mm-hmm. But I've seen titles over the years at Marvel that just look, I mean, I would read issues and I would go, oh my god, how could they do this? Mm-hmm. But then if I just waited a little bit longer. Um, Steve Gerber, one of my favorite writers over the years for his stuff on, on Man-Thing and Howard the Duck, I thought did an abysmal daredevil. Hmm. And yet, very shortly thereafter, we suddenly had uh, Frank Miller and Roger McKenzie on that book. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, what can you say? That's that's a good example of just waiting until it gets good again. And it's tight. It's tight. Right. So are you, uh, are you still excited uh, for the thrice monthly brand new day, then? For the what now? The three-time... The three times a month, brand new day story they're doing afterwards with the four writers? I don't know. Uh, it's going to depend on how good they are. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's like we've, we've had to read 
so many different Spidey titles in a way if we could just find ourselves in those three titles and doing really solid, well-thought-out arcs. It could be great. Uh, it just depends on how well they do it. Right. And, you know, to tie it into something you said earlier, I guess you think this is another reboot or a revitalization of the character for another generation? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's their attempt to do so. Uh, I worry a little bit because sometimes when you attempt to do something, that's when you have the hardest time actually succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that the with Spider-Man, the um, the odds are, are much... Um, well, the, the stakes are higher. Right. Um, because Spider-Man is so amazingly uh, popular now, mm-hmm. more so than ever before. Yeah. So they, they've got to do something. Uh, it's just kind of hard to tell whether this is going to work. Right. More of anything else you have? No, I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Uh, Spidey Dude from Texas. <laughs> I always like to mention Texas multiple times in there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got for Steve? Well, I work in retail, Steve, and... and uh, I'm a salesman. I, I'm, I, I admit it. <laughs> so, for, for those of us that have not gotten the book yet, I would like to hear your sales pitch. <laughs> the, the reasons why I should buy this book. Ah, uh, it's. I think it's an. Well, what we tried to do was a really dynamic look at all of the high points that made that just hit all the hot buttons for Spider-Man history. Spider-Man has been one of the most amazing characters. He's just he sparked the imagination so often for the last uh, five decades. This is your chance to hit all the high notes. At the same time, to see all the cool toys that you remember either having or wishing you had. Yeah. And in the process, actually learning some really weird stuff about popular culture. Mm-hmm. Stuff like trading cards having originally started in cigarette packages. <laughs> um, Spider-Man video games really hitting their peak because uh, PlayStation and, and Nintendo had just made their debut. Yeah. You know, some, some pretty cool stuff. And there's some arcane stuff in there. Again, who would have ever suspected that the guy who put together the Superman-Spider-Man team-up was the agent for Woodward and Bernstein's All the President's Men <laughs> And eventually became the producer of Revenge of the Nerds. Wow, that is a <laughs> that's a long line to follow. Oh. <laughs> wow, that one was fun for me. I I was just looking at the introductions that Stan and Carmine wrote for that mm-hmm. book, and Stan thanked a guy named David Obst, and I'm like, oh, who's this dude? And so I did a little bit of research, and there he was. He actually represented Woodward and Bernstein. We've got Spider Man. <laughs> Connected to water maybe cake. maybe Peter Parker was deep throat. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows? You know, uh, an uh, item we didn't touch on during uh, the questions is about video games. I mean, back in '82 with the Atari was the first one, I think, and uh, that just played into his even bigger popularity, I think. And yet, it's so funny because you look at that early uh-huh. stuff; it's just so amazingly primitive. Yep. Um, and it's also kind of funny. It's ironic in a way because I think video games are the modern comic books in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. I mean, really, when you get down to it, uh, today the Galactus trilogy would become a video game, not uh, three issues of a funny of a funny yeah. book. Do you have a particular favorite Spider-Man video game that you? 
I'm not a big video game yeah. guy. I should be, but frankly, I'm, I think I'm afraid because I, I don't know that I would ever come out of the did my you, room. Did you have that original Atari game? I, I did. I remember as a kid, the little red dot is Spider-Man, the little green dot is the Green Goblin. <laughs> exactly. No, I didn't have yeah. that. I didn't have that one. Um, I, I didn't have a video game console until a couple of years ago when I got an no, Xbox. Okay. And I think if I was going to go for a console today, it would be a Wii. Yeah, yeah they're very cool. Number one selling console in America yeah. right now. You'd, you'd be hard pressed to find one too. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, got every one to yeah. go for. Yeah. Well, Spidey dude, anything else for Steve? Did... Uh no. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty pretty simple. I just wanted to hear his sales pitch because it's pretty good. What I'm, I'm really consider- seriously considering buying cool. it. Cool. So, yeah. So. I think you would like it, and I think that as you read it, you would find all sorts of really bizarre stuff. Um, there are a few things that I didn't get to put in the book. But by and large, uh, everything. Well, Marvel didn't make a single change. Wow! Uh, they were really amazing. They just they 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 gave us real freedom to tell it like it is, and so I think you see more stuff in there than I even expected oh, to wow. have it appear. All right, and Jr. The brothers separated by a different mother. <laughs> for Steve, <laughs> what's your uh, thoughts with Steve? Well, um, I don't. I've noticed that we're going on about we're getting close to an hour on this uh, show, and uh, we've had some marathon sessions lately. <laughs> so I think what I'll do is uh, I'll turn it over to uh, our fans on the message board okay. and uh, see what questions they have for Steve, and uh, have him take. And, a and crack you can just those. meet him at the family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, uh, Wombat909 from the United Kingdom. He says. Uh, hi, Steve. Were you chosen to write Spider-Man the Icon, or did you want it to do it anyway? You kind of talked a bit about that earlier, how uh, you pitched to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, they came to me and said that they had uh, an agreement with Marvel to do a book, and they were looking for uh, the way that they thought would work best. Mm-hmm. And so they just asked me to do a, an outline, and they liked yeah. it. Uh, and there's two covers for this book. There's uh, he asks any idea who did the art on the cover? As I really like that art, and you know the the art on I think the non McFarlane version is uh, artwork you see on a lot of different Spider-Man products. Who do you know who that artist is? Oh, I did earlier, and I've got to go back and find <laughs> it because um, somebody on the actually somebody on the Newsarama phase was the person who identified. Oh, okay. There's a weird story behind that. Uh, we were going, we had um, done that cover specifically to, um, just to, to be a sales pitch to the retailers. Right. So it went out on this um, blad, which is like a 16-page sample of the mm-hmm. book. And when it went out on, on as uh, part of the blad, it was just literally to say, buy this mm-hmm. book. We then came up with this really cool John Romita image that almost went into sort of a Roy Lichtenstein kind of an image. Mm-hmm. And and the designer and the editor and I, um, the designer was this fantastic designer named Martin Stiff, working from some uh, design samples from an outside studio. And the editor was a fellow named Adam Newell. And we worked together and we found this fabulous image. And then, um, lo and behold, uh, the, the salespeople came back and said, yeah, but we really like the blast. <laughs> And we think that'll that'll work a lot better. Mm-hmm. So you know, even though we were sort of dying to use the Romita mm-hmm. image, um, it, it came down to being the one from the Blab. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mind that. I'll be honest. I um, 
I could see it. I, I want to reach the most right. readers possible. And the McFarlane image, where did that come from? I think that was in like a, a magazine uh, one shot that they released. I think that's the first time I saw that McFarlane image. It was a um, – I think actually it was a uh, – it was in one of the issues, and I want to say it was a, a center mm-hmm. spread. Um, it might have just – I think it might have been a poster sort of spread in yeah. the book. And – um, the reason that that came down was that Titan, or I mean, that uh, Diamond wanted to do a very limited edition. There are only like uh, 750 copies that have a Stanley signature mm-hmm. on it. And um, Stan did the signature, and um, so those are out in the comic book stores. You can only get them there. And I've seen them already going for some fairly good prices on eBay as yep. well. Um, and the, the guy who was credited, I think, the, the cover, the, the main, the regular right. cover, Scott, Scott Johnson. Johnson. He he does. I, I like his artwork. I mean, I I wish he'd be a regular comic author or uh, penciler because his, his stuff is on a lot of marketing Spider-Man stuff I've seen. And I think that's where yeah. it came from. And uh, it just it struck a chord yeah. with all of the people in the marketing and sales departments, and they just said, "Use yeah. this one." Uh, Wombat's last question is: What other Marvel comic-related work have you done? Are you, have you do you have other Spider-Man books out, or what? What else could we look for that you've done? This is my first okay. book. I've done a lot of articles over the years, and I've done a lot of editing. Most of what I do is work with other writers on their on their mm-hmm. writing, um, and so that's that's been that's my sort of chosen vocation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there might be some <laughs> I hope so, if this one sells well. A project coming uh, in next year that just might be one of the bigger uh, biographical projects in the, okay. in the world, in the comic Okay, world. cool. Uh, DXD says, hi, Steve. Great book. I just wanted to say that uh, he really enjoys it, especially the section about Marvel prototyping characters before they appeared in Spider-Man. I knew that Ant-Man and Uncle Ben characters appeared in a previous non-Spidey story, but Nat had no idea about the others, like the Sandman, Electro. Very interesting read for any Spider-Man fan. Talk a bit about that. Ant-Man and Uncle Ben were in a book before Amazing Fantasy 15. Just a few months before uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, there was an issue of Strange Tales. I think it was number 97. Uh-huh where you had characters named uh, May and Ben, the, whose niece uh, turned out to be a mermaid. And it was a Lee Ditko story from an era when Lee and Ditko were doing some of the best macabre, sort of surrealist stories in comics. Um, Amazing Adult Fantasy, which led up to Amazing Fantasy, is practically the twilight zone of comic books. Right. If you look at that, you expect Rod Serling <laughs> to come stepping out. And right. Amazing stuff. Um, uh, but uh, the prototype stuff, it's funny because I think it's sort of hindsight is twenty twenty. You suddenly see like attempts to use say, the characters like Sandman and Electro. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whether it's a prototype or not is sort of irrelevant. It's kind of funny. Right. Uh, Sam Kirby says, hi, Steve. Yes, it's an awesome book, and I'm good friends with Cy Winnie from SpiderManCollector.com. It's awesome to see all those pics of his toys in the book. Just wanted to know why he only got a small sentence in your acknowledgement page in the back. I think his name should be have been on the cover with yours, but still an awesome book, Sam. He communicated with my editor, and that's really all he mm-hmm. wanted. Um, you know, again, these are things that we probably could have searched uh, through, you know, a half a dozen other sites and got the images. And a lot of the photos in the book were things that I took. Um, but... For what Sy sent in, he just wanted an acknowledgement. Right. 
and uh, Spider-Man Hero 12. He says, hi, Steve, I have your new book, and I think it's amazing. Excuse the pun. Uh, he says, uh, how long did it take to write it? I think he said, what, in about a year? Isn't that what you said? If you were to put the amount of time that I spent on the actual physical writing back-to-back, it would probably be about four to five months' worth of, of solid mm-hmm. writing. I was working on a lot of other projects at the same time, so it's it sort of spread out. Um, Finishing the book was one of the coolest things. In uh, last May, I actually went over to London, where Titan Books is, and got to sit there at a computer right next door to uh, the designer and literally finish the writing on the captions and, and any of the corrections that got right. needed right then and there. So, so um, I mean, I actually got to, to go over to London oh, to finish the book. I, I didn't know really Titan was located in London. That's cool. Okay. They are. They're really one of the top uh, pop culture publishers around these days. A lot of the um, of the magazines that are uh, dedicated to pop culture, you know, Buffy and Heroes and Lost mm-hmm. and, and Star Wars, those are all Titan projects. And oh, I can't believe we didn't ask this one already. Did you enjoy writing it? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did a lot more than I even really expected. Yeah. Uh, originally, I envisioned it as just being you know, text going with the, the pictures. And then I started finding some of these really bizarre facts yeah. and um, sticking them in the book. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that I really found fascinating was uh, literally getting to trace the uh, Marvel bankruptcy. Yeah. And um, when the current owners basically snuck in and, and scarfed up the mm-hmm. company, I, I had never really put all of that together in a linear fashion. Uh, he also says thanks and uh, happy holidays. And uh, DXD says uh, he wants to know if it's true that you're currently living in Forest Hills, the hometown of Peter Parker. It is. My wife and I used to live in the northern part of Manhattan, and we wanted to, to mm-hmm. buy a place. And we found out that any place in Manhattan was just beyond our means. We both work in publishing, and uh, thereby we're just not going to be rich anytime yeah. soon. And we found a place out here in Forest Hills that was just beautiful, and we, we snagged it. And it was they should put like a sign up there, the the home of Peter Parker, Forest Hills. I was really happy when they at least did a uh, a big uh, Spider-Man week mm-hmm. in New York. New York does embrace its favorite son, and um, it's a little easier because I'm just not there, sure where Gotham City <laughs> is. And Metropolis, Illinois, is is not quite the same as the <laughs> uh, Ludacris uh, asks, he wants to know one more interesting thing you uncovered while writing the book. We kind of talked about the, the Watergate stuff. Is there one more thing you can divulge that you found that was interesting? Oh, let me see. I, we really talked about a lot of mm-hmm. the most bizarre things. Um, I, think, uh, I think one thing that I found fascinating, it wasn't sort of a, a direct uncovering. If you look at the section on the 70s, uh-huh. See this fabulous Cream magazine cover from April 1973, where John Romita basically drew Spider-Man at a rock. <laughs> yeah, and it was just such an amazingly cool cover. But then you go forward to about 1992, and the same artist, John Romita, is there drawing Spider-Man swinging through the stock. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bizarre, like contrast until you stop and realize that Cream Magazine is coming right on the heels of the 60s and the early 70s, yeah. Flower Child, Rock Generation, and the 1990s are the dot-com Exactly. Generation. That's cool. That's where you start to realize that this really is a mirror of our yeah. culture. And then you find out, then you look at uh, Civil War, 
which is a complete mirror of the culture that we're living yeah. in today. Uh, Leopard Lad from London, UK. I don't really get this question, but maybe you do. He says, the book looks great. Going to have to wait till Christmas to read it, though. Is there anything in the book about evil Turkish Spider-Man from 3Dev Adam? And what's your opinion on it, if there is one? I saw that yeah. question, and I looked it up, and this is a bizarre Turkish film from the early 1970s okay. that I didn't know about until he pointed <laughs> out. I, somehow, I think, very mercifully, it never made it to our shores. <laughs> the bizarre, this, this, this fictional character enlists Captain America to stop the evil Spider-Man, who is this horrifying villain who keeps being killed and regenerating. <laughs> Yet, they're drawn somewhat to look like the Marvel huh. characters. Captain America more than Spider-Man. Wow. I, I've it's, never even heard of it. I don't know what he was talking about. I, I found it by going and Googling it, of course, and it was it's just bizarre. And I think very mercifully, nobody I know has ever seen it. <laughs> well, we may have to – if it's up on YouTube, I might have to put a link or something like that. Uh, I think there are portions of it that okay. are up there. Uh, Wombat has another question. He says, uh, what Spider-Man character do you think has the possibility to star in their own book? That's a tough one. I don't – Really have any off the top of my head? The pun ben Riley. Ben, Ri- ben Riley. Is that what you just said, Spidey dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Shining down there. laughs> that might fit into the Department of Redundancy department, though. I'm afraid. Yeah, probably. Um, I, I honestly don't have a really good uh, a good example of one. There are a lot of very good characters, but um, most of them, I, I, I think that uh, that they've tapped most of them who yeah. could. Uh, you know, a character can only really get their own book if they have that level of interest. I, I, if anybody, I think the black cat would work. I think she has the strongest possibility, in my opinion. But you're probably right. I think that's actually true because you could do it very much as a sort of a crime noir kind of a of a project. Um, yeah. it, again, it would have to be done, I think, completely differently than what made her a second yeah, and- character. Got to have do something to make her a primary character. She's got to sort of become. Yeah. Jr. Do you think Norman Osborn could star in his own book? Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, well, I mean, I think bad guys. I mean, years ago, I think in the seventies or something, the DC gave the Joker their own book, his yeah. own book. Uh, you know, bad guys. Uh, you know, one of, one of the reasons bad guys are effective is because. Uh, well, they're bad guys, and uh, if you have them, you know, how can you put up with a series where they're just doing one nasty thing after yeah. the other and never getting their comeuppance? I mean, that would just get, uh, you know, and it would burn out the character, too. So, bad guys uh, no, work I, right. Bad guys work well in mm-hmm. contrast. Yeah, that's true. They aren't. They don't look work with no one up against them, I guess. <laughs> uh, Wombat also says, did, uh, did you like Spider-Man 3? We kind of already asked that. And what do you think should happen in the fourth movie? Where, where do you think it should go, Steve? I would focus in tightly again. I think it's got to really focus in on the character. I think um, I think you can you can evolve a little bit like the character did in the comics. I think what Sam has done has worked best when it does reflect some of what's been going on in comics. I think maybe it would be time for for Spider-Man maybe to do something a little bit more noir crime, a little of what we were talking about a minute ago for the right. Black Cat. Might be time for um, something along the lines of the mm-hmm. Kingpin. Or maybe the master planner storyline. Um, in other words, something right. tighter. Instead of just uh, new villain, new villain, capture Mary Jane. 
Yeah, unfortunately, while I would really like to see the lizard, uh, because I think that that could lead to some just astonishing special effects, uh, because they just mm-hmm. did Venom, we're just going to follow horrific with horrific, and I think that might not work yeah. as well. What do you think of the recasting? Do you Would you like uh, Toby and, and uh, Kirsten Dunst to be back, or do you think we should start fresh? I think that you've got, you're going to run a little bit of a threat of them beginning to coast, mm-hmm. because they've had to do this, for so so many uh, movies now, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think both of them certainly could do mm-hmm. it. But if you can come up with Toby and Kirsten in the beginning, I think you can come up with somebody new who could be very yeah. effective. It's going to be a little hard to top what yeah. you've done, though. Uh, whatever a spider can from Delaware says he's anxiously awaiting the book on Christmas morning. You know, you get a lot of these people that aren't going to know what's happening in the book till the 26th. <laughs> um Somebody, uh, somebody better get their acting gear. I mean, you know, I, maybe my old. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he asked about how long it took you to write the book. We've done that. How long? When did you get into Spider-Man comics? You said Amazing 19. And have you gotten any insight on the Spider-Man musical being planned? Is it actually going to be a good thing? I guess you can talk a little bit more about the musical. Uh, do you have you heard anything about the musical? They certainly seem to be uh, going with some of the canonical elements, uh, just judging from what they said about mm-hmm. the casting. They've cast a lot of different uh, characters. It looks to me as if it's also going to be a little bit of a reflection of the geek culture, because I think they actually did cast a, a, a trio of geeks who may be, um, I don't know whether they're narrators or whatever. Uh, I didn't, I, I talked very briefly with the production company, but at that point I think they were much too yeah. early on. And I think Bono, is he involved with it? I, I believe that uh, he's going to be right. doing the music. So I think that the music is going to be, I, I mean, the music could be very good. Um, yeah. We'll just see. I, it, it's, a, it's a stretch, but, you know, in a, in a place where uh, we suddenly find young Frankenstein <laughs> being done, it's um, I think that yeah, I do, I do too. Um, that's the last of the message board questions. We also want to uh, let our listeners know that we're going to be giving away a autographed copy of the book from Steve. And all you have to do, we're having a contest. All you have to do is design a new banner for our message board, and uh, the gang, Jr. and Spidey Dude and Morb and myself will pick the winner. And in case you're wondering, the dimensions on the message board are 455 by 177. So the more creative, the better. And we'll pick a winner. Steve, we appreciate you uh, agreeing to give away an autographed copy. That's awesome. Oh, it's uh, it's our pleasure, and uh, we'll we'll figure out how to how to get that to uh-huh. more people. But uh, in the meanwhile, I just um, we've got a, a a forum set up over on uh, Newsarama where one of the things I'm trying to do is to get people to. Um, uh, hit me with any questions they've got about the book and any mistakes mm-hmm. they find. There are very few mistakes found. As a matter of fact, it's mostly just in um, disagreements where we actually get to talk out different views. But I'd love to see uh, more of the fans over there and over on the Awesome. And uh, if you want to submit an entry for the message board contest, just uh, email it to me at spidermancrawlspace at hotmail.com. There's no hyphen in Spider-Man for an email. Just spidermancrawlspace at hotmail.com. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You're a good sport for doing this on a Sunday afternoon. And if you want to check out the book, there's a few ways you can do it. Why don't you tell us, Steve? There's Amazon, of course. We'll put a, a link on our main page for you to pick it up through Amazon. What's a couple other ways I can get it? 
Well, there are a bunch of places online, and of course, uh, it never hurts to support your local mm-hmm. bookstore and your local comic book store. Um, personally, I tend to, to go with the, the independent comic book stores because uh, that's how they stay in right. business. Um, so if you if you go into a store and they say that they don't have it, remember that's uh, never really an acceptable answer. They can right. always order it. Okay. A big thanks goes out to Steve for being our guest this month. Now, if you'd like to purchase his book, I provide a link on our main page at spidermancrawlspace.com. Now, let me go into the details a bit more about our contest. We're going to be giving away a copy of the book, Spider-Man the Icon, and Steve will personalize the book for you. He will give an autograph mailed to you along with the book. Now, the book won't be autographed, but you will get an autograph of the author on Spider-Man letterhead with the book. Now, contest details. We want you to design a cool new message board banner for our site. Now, the dimensions of the image is 455 by 177. I want you to be as creative as you can and email your entry to spidermancrawlspace at hotmail.com. And there's no hyphen in Spider-Man. It's just spidermancrawlspace at hotmail.com. Now, your deadline to enter the contest is December 15th, because that's today we'll be recording our second podcast for December. That will be our Christmas episode. We'll have just the gang, Morbius, JR, Spidey Dude, and myself. Now, I've started a thread on our message board under the Crawl Space 101 section, and feel free to ask us anything you want, and we'll answer it on the air, and we'll also announce the winner of the contest on that show. Now, as always, a big thanks to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com, and you can order the Spider-Man Icon book through them also, if you'd like. Now, that's where the Crawl Space staff gets their books, so you should give them a try. Again, that's MailOrderComics.com. Gang, it's been fun, and we'll see you on December 15th as we wrap up 2007. I'm Brad Douglas, and thanks for listening and visiting SpiderManCrawlspace.com.